But I thought it would be fun to just actually look at the, uh, the best example of a gospel testimony from the book of Acts, which is two different times when Paul shares his testimony. And so I want us to look at um, uh, Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26, because we're just going to see different aspects. But I, what I want you to do is I want you to be listening for those three categories. He's not going to... He, Paul doesn't do it in exactly the way that I've kind of laid it out for you, but you're going to see definite before, coming to, and after Christ. And I want you to identify the different some of the different ideas we've been talking about. How does he explain how he, uh, how he used to act? How did he explain how he used to misunderstand God? How, you know, or what did he come to understand about Jesus Christ uh, when he was coming to faith, and what has the transformation of his life been since? So I want you to actually be giving, we're going to discuss together how we see uh, the elements of a gospel testimony in what Paul, in these two addresses that Paul gives. So in the interest of the fact that I'm mic'd and you're not, I'm just going to read this. So let's look at Acts 22. This is Paul. He's been, he's been lynched by a crowd of Jews in the temple who think he's brought a Gentile into the temple. That's not true. And some Jews from the areas where he has um, been ministering have, have you know, kind of jumped on him and have been beating him. The Romans have come and have rescued him, but now he's asked for permission to speak to the crowd. So this is it. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. Then he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From then I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul... Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. 
When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now at this point, Paul's testimony gets cut off, because at that they get so enraged that they just start baying for his blood. So he doesn't get to finish. He does get to finish, though, in chapter 26, when he's telling the same story to King Agrippa. Um, So go over to chapter 26. He gets interrupted here, too, but he gets a little further. Uh, Let's go back to verse 12. So we're going to go back to his telling of the story of, uh, in Damascus. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we'd all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying to both small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And then Festus interrupts him and says, Paul, you're out of your mind, your great learning is driving you mad, and he says, no, I'm, I'm not mad, most excellent Festus, and, uh, and then he appeals to King Agrippa to believe the gospel. All right, between those two accounts, what do you see as elements either of sin, Savior, saving faith? What are some things that stood out to you as Paul essentially gave a gospel testimony? Did he, ex- he didn't expl- explain any biblical text in this. He's actually just telling his story. Okay, so he, what does he identify as his central sin before coming to Christ? He identifies his central sin as persecuting Christians. Does that make sense? What else does he explain about his life before knowing Christ? We'll say, Nick. Devout Jew. Devout Jew. Devout Jew. As 
in, in 22, as they are themselves. What, how does he describe himself? Being zealous for God. Being zealous for God as what? As you are this day, Pharisee, right? So actually, what's he doing in saying, I was very zealous for God as I perceive you are this day? What is he doing there? He's telling them they're in sin as well. Okay, yep. Yes, I do. I think that's true. It's not what I was going for, but I do think that's true. He's telling them they're in sin too. He's making a connection. I think he is making a connection. He's saying, listen, I was like you. And I was zealous for God as, as you're zealous for God. He's giving them a, paying them a compliment. But in so doing, he indicts them as well as himself. Okay? So, so that, you remember how we talked in the sin category, we talked about the idea of false understandings about God? Right? So here, here he is. I was, or, or what was my religious background? I was zealous for God according to the law. But that, but implication, that, That wasn't enough. That wasn't good enough. That wasn't saving. Okay? Good. What else? All right, well, let's move on to Savior then. What are, did you notice how he was able, because we talked about how you're trying in a gospel testimony to actually present the facts of the gospel as well as how you came to know it. What between the two uh, chapters do, do you see as ways he, I mean, I don't think he's, you don't say slip in, but in a sense, slipped in truth that doesn't just apply to him, but applies universally. How did he proclaim the gospel? Okay, so what is there? Jesus' work in dying and suffering, his identity as the Messiah, and his resurrection from the dead. Great. What else? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that happened a couple times in the recent baptism where someone said, and here's a conversation I had with someone else who clarified this particular point with me. Yeah. So 46, 18, where was that? Twenty six eighteen, yeah. So this is what Jesus is saying to him. That's a pretty good witness. Yeah. If you're, you're gonna bring someone alongside who helped you who helped you get saved, God if when Jesus does it, that's pretty nice. Um, yeah. So there you have there you have the doctrine of repentance, don't you? Turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And what's the result? Forgiveness. Forgiveness, right? So the, the implication being, you need the forgiveness of sins. And the way that, in order to get that, is to turn from darkness to light and the power of Satan to God. 
What would you say is the central thing that Paul identifies as the thing that changed his understanding and allowed him to come to Christ? If you were to identify, what is he, if you're looking at what changed, how did I understand something different? Understood that Jesus is Lord, right? So who had he thought Jesus was? A false prophet, right? So he saw Jesus as evil and therefore was persecuting these heretics. So really, if you look at chapter 22, I know we're flipping back and forth, when Ananias says, he, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will to see the righteous one. Paul's uh, critical turn was to go from seeing Jesus as a false prophet to seeing him as the righteous one. So it was the identity of Jesus as God's righteous one, the Messiah, that was the thing that had to change. Does that make sense? So he's identifying what changed. Okay, anything else? Anything else about how he personally came to understand that? Jesus whacks everybody upside the head somehow. Yep, there you go. Yeah, Lisa? Yes. So Jesus, Jesus is the initiator. He is the responder. Yeah, very good. Huh? Yeah. Now, note... Oh, sorry. Yeah, Martha. That's a lovely thought. That's a lovely thought. Notice how he makes, well, Jesus does, but he gladly assents to it, makes the connection between sin vertical instead of horizontal. So you may identify your sin as being rotten to everyone around you. (laughs) Well, that's what Paul was doing, right? He was being rotten to a subset of the people that were around him. But Jesus helps him to see that that is, and even even if in your case it wasn't, you, you weren't being rotten to a bunch of Christians. You're still being rotten to a bunch of people who are made in God's image, which makes that a vertical sin. Right? All sin is ultimately vertical. Damien, did you have... Yeah, I think an interesting observation that's, that's here, too, is we see how uh, Paul is, is humbled, literally, by being blinded by Jesus. And he needs to be head 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, he doesn't come off as this great hero in this story, does he? You know, he's not the hero of this story. So, you see God's humbling of him. Okay, what about his life after coming to know Jesus? What does he identify as the things that characterize him now? Following Jesus. Yep. Keith? Okay, proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. Right? He focuses on his, his ministry of proclamation, right? So now, he's since coming to Jesus, his whole world is bound up in worshiping Jesus by making him known and proclaiming him. Now, how does that provide a contrast with pre-Jesus? Okay, I see that. And what what do you what significance are you giving to that? Mm-hmm. I was zealous for God, but I was wrong. And then Christ has come to me, and his life afterwards, he now sees that he is you know, helped by God yeah. in everything that he does. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, so his life now, moving forward, is a life helped by God. Uh, yes, uh, Tim and then Eric. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So going from suppression to pro- proclamation. Eric? Okay. Exactly. So you see a certain amount of mirroring. Now, that's how I choose to to share my testimony, because I look at my pre-Christ life and with the, the, the oppressive power of sin that gripped me, specifically being pride and arrogance. So when I share my testimony, I express... I spend my time afterwards. Now, there's been lots of changes in my life since coming to Christ. But I tend to focus on how he resolved my central issue with pride. Because, honestly, just that's, that's easier storytelling. I, I, don't, get, don't hear me wrong when I say that. But, like, here was the problem. If I never tell how the solution comes, right? I actually want to let them know that, okay, here was my problem. Here's my huge problem. I came to know Jesus and a bunch of other problems got solved. But I don't tell you about the big problem. Right? So it, it kind of makes sense. If you can identify this, the central kind of core of your rebellion, then talk afterwards about, this, about how that fundamentally, that fundamentally changed. 
Does that make sense? So he goes from being persecutor to being proclaimer. So Now, Paul is not doing, his, his goal in this is not precisely what our goal is. So I'm not trying to, you know, stretch points too much. But you do see that same principle. Here was my problem. Here is Jesus changing, transforming me. Okay? And now, and, and what is his goal? What is his objective in telling this story? Is it so that they can know more about him? So that they can stop beating him? It's so that Agrippa can come to Christ. It's so that Agrippa can come to Christ, yeah. You look at down here in verse, uh, um, you know, after Festus, you know, gives him the nice compliment that he's crazy. The king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, verse 26, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. Okay, so he's emphasizing the public reality of Christianity. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa says to Paul, in short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Probably said derisively. And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. So be clear. You, in sharing your testimony, are seeking to persuade. You're not quite just saying, let me... You mean, you're going, to rep- you're, you know, you're going to be like, yeah, let me tell you my story. But the answer that you're hoping for is a response. You're actually seeking for a response. Does that make sense? You know, and you don't have to say, will you believe in Jesus Christ as, as Lord and Savior? You may not wrap up your gospel presentation that way. I don't, usually. I, I stop and I see, you know, how I, what, what further connections I can make or if there's any questions or things like that. But you do be clear, in a context where you're talking to a non-Christian, you're seeking to persuade them. You actually want them to become as you are. So, which isn't always going to happen. And, off, and usually won't happen right there and then. But that doesn't, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. But you are seeking to be persuasive. Okay, any other things that you, can, that you noticed or, or pulled out? That was great, guys. You guys picked out a lot of stuff. Yes. Yeah, Agrippa is the person he's addressing, but, I mean, there's, this, there's the guard who's standing at the door, you know. There's the, he, wants, he wants everybody. He wants everybody to know this. All right, let's transition now, because we want to get to, you want to get to saving faith. Uh, I will pause for a second and futilely ask a question. Did any of you have any questions from the second question from last time? I, ask, I say that futilely because... I don't really, really expect you to have any, but you, if you do, I want to have them. Anything that you said about from the last week's worksheet about how do you get from the gospel to how you came to believe the gospel? That, we don't have that handout here today, but was there anything that, 
that struck to you or you were like, I'm not sure how to say this or I'm not sure how to, to write this part? Okay, good. Is there anyone who would like, who would be interested in reading their Savior section for us? That's fine. At the end of today, I'm going to actually ask for some volunteers to give their whole testimony presentation next week so that we can all benefit from hearing several different versions. And I'm going to ask for the usual suspects to volunteer and for the unusual suspects to volunteer, just so you know, just equal opportunity. Okay, let's look at our handout from today. And if you want to know if you're an unusual suspect, I'll tell you. (laughs) BJ is not an unusual suspect. He's a usual suspect. So... All right, let's look at some of the questions you might choose to use in looking at uh, the third part of your testimony as you describe how, you, how your life has changed since coming to Christ. Now, I have many questions on this worksheet. You will not include them all. This, this one, almost certainly, you will pick and choose what you choose to include. But here is just a number of things to think about as you want to try... Um, I want to try explaining this. So let's look at this. Since coming to faith in Jesus, how have you seen God transform your life? Right? How are you, because remember he said, turn from darkness to light and from Satan to God. That is the starkness of what happened to you when you came to Christ. It's not that you changed religions. It's not that you got some new ideas about who God is. It's not that you cleaned up your act. It's that you turned from Satan to God and from darkness to light. It's absolutely 100% transformative. So, how do we tease that out? Okay. In no... Well, in some particular order. How has your relationship with God the Father changed? How do you relate to Him now that He is your Father? So think about God the Father... What are some ways you might have, have uh, re- responded to him in your, in your sin? What are ways that, you don't have to speak for yourself, what are ways that people uh, relate to God, the person of God the Father, uh, wrongly? Doubt, Doubt fear, rebellion. rebellion. Yeah. What? Eye in, the sky. Eye in the sky, yeah, yeah, yeah. Imaginary. Indifferent, right? Okay, so how did, you, how did your relationship with God change? What is it now? What is it now to mean that God, to know God as your father? And a good father. See the sermon later today. All right, your relationship with God the Son. How do you relate to Jesus now that he is your master and king? All right, so how, let's answer this for Paul. How did, G, how did Paul relate to Jesus before? Persecution, hostility, rejection, and hatred. How does he relate to the Son now? Obedience, proclamation, delight, uh, say again, reverence, yeah, 
wholehearted following, right? So here's who Jesus was to me, here's who he is now. Your relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, how is he transforming you so that you are increasingly holy yourself? In the course that Wes and Kevin taught, they, uh, they gave the great illustration of when the Holy Spirit comes, it's like a, a house, you know, your house with all its different rooms, which are all represent all the different aspects of your life. And when Jesus comes, when, when the Holy Spirit comes through faith in Jesus, he goes through and first there's a, what was it? There's moving day, moving in day. Was that right, Nick? Okay, moving in day where the character of the house is fundamentally changed. But then... Jesus starts rooting in, or sorry, the Holy Spirit starts rooting in all the closets, right? And so, you know, this room, which is pretty dusty, and you know, no, so now he goes and, and he invades that room, and he start, or it's, or it's like, um, oh, I don't know, here we go, Harry Potter reference. They go into Grim Old Place, and now it's the, now it's the Order of the Phoenix headquarters, but they still have to go in and clear out the doxies, and you know, some of you are looking at me like, okay. How is he transforming you such that you're increasingly holy yourself? What about your affections? What do you now love that you used to find unattractive, uninteresting, or hateful? Right? What bored you that now delights you? What did you find distasteful? What if you had had thought that the idea that God would judge your sin, like, what if you thought that was abhorrent? And now you realize that that's actually good, right? So there's just one example. How are your affections different? Your repentance, how do you see yourself turning from sin? How do you see yourself free from the bondage of sin so that you are able to say no to it? This might be an example where you give particular details, right? I never, I hated the fact that I looked down on everybody I met and despised pretty much everybody I met. And after coming to Christ, my heart was filled with love for the people and a sense of, I am, a wor- I am the worst sinner in the world. <laughs> so how am I going to despise anybody, right? So how did you turn and you, how do you actually see yourself saying no to things that you might have... Maybe you were enslaved to anger and you hated your anger. You hated your anger, but you... What are you? You're enslaved to it and you can't fix it, right? That's what it means to be enslaved to sin, whether it's to lust or to anger or to, or to um, uh, oh gosh, any of the, you know, any of the, the deeds of the flesh, right? Uh, idolatry, greed, you know, you might hate those sins and still be enslaved to them. How do you see that now changed, able to say no to the things? Your relationships with others, especially family, this is often one of the ways that it's kind of the context in which those things tend to occur, Right. So if you if you're going from being a hateful person to being a loving person, guess what? That's going to change the relations within your family. Right. Those who are closest to you. And it actually isn't particularly helpful if you're suddenly loving to all the people that are far away from you and the people that you're closest to. There's no there's no change. You're just as hateful as you were before. There's a good reason to ask some hard questions in that situation. Who is it, BJ? Who's the quote? If Chris, it's Howard Hendricks, isn't it? If Christianity doesn't work at home, it doesn't work. Right? Which means that... Okay, he doesn't know. Great quote. I'm saying... Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. No, no, no. No, good. We'll say good. It's you. It was a great quote. Right? <laughs> great. 
So, but actually, consider that. Well, let's just, let's just take a sidebar. If Christianity doesn't work at home, it doesn't work. You can't claim legit, you can't claim, um, uh, uh, credibly to become a, to have become a Christian if your home life is utterly untransformed. Now, that doesn't mean that if your the rest of your home is filled with unbelievers that there won't st- you know that the, that doesn't mean that you're smooth sailing. It just means that you are a change agent in the equation. Anyway, all right, that was for free. Uh, so how have your family relationships been affected? Yes, go ahead. Mm. Narrow-minded and judgmental. Yeah. So, but I wasn't. I love them way more, right? Yes. Objectively, you do. Yes. No. That's a good thing. And the way it's a good thing is is if your family has come to see you more negatively because you actually now have allegiance to Jesus instead of to them, then that's a, that's a sign of life too. Now, guess what? All of the things being equal, I might not include that part particularly. Like, no, I mean, that's funny, but it's, it's got, like, like, you don't have to, if you, if, if the person sitting across from you, they don't need to know everything, and you don't have to share every part of like there's time if you especially if you have an ongoing relationship of time you you're going to have time to get to harder things but so i i don't know that i would share that but you need to know that it might like if you're if you're a, a muslim woman in pakistan how are your family relationships going to change by you coming to know jesus it's going to be bad but you will be relating to them righteously even though they may kill you. Okay, all right. Your pursuit of things of God. How do these things now form essential parts of your life? The church, other believers, the spiritual disciplines, such as Bible intake, prayer, fellowship, evangelism. If you were someone who, you know, you couldn't stand to come to church, you know, you drugged to church every week, and now suddenly you love being around the people of God. You can't wait to be at church where you're around those, the opportunity to worship God and, and to love him. Um, your old idols, how have you seen those dethroned? Uh, so if you loved money, how have you seen that be replaced? Um, this is one example. Now, your ongoing struggles. Where do you feel that you still have a long way to go in being conformed to Jesus? I think this is helpful to include. Why do I think that this is helpful to include? Wes? Yes, exactly. It's telling the truth about the gospel, which is that the Christian life is transformative, but it, it's not that you become perfect, which is, again, a point of connection with them. You're not, if, if they think they're talking to someone who thinks that they're, that they're perfect, well, that's, a, that's actually a turnoff, right? And you're trying to, hey, sweetheart, yeah? Yes. Yes, my reliance is... St- I live a life helped by God. I'm on my way to heaven, but I'm not there yet. 
And my experience of life in this world is continually dependent on God, the God that I had hated. Okay? Good. So I think it's helpful um, to explain, because I can remember my own nephilings. Um, I can remember when uh, Mary, Margaret, and Eric uh, came to a place where they realized that their kids, this was much younger, much younger, thought that, well, you, I can't be a Christian mom and dad because I still sin. And somehow they had gotten the idea that, you know, that once you become a Christian, you don't sin anymore. And they were like, oh, no! <laughs> but they were able to then make a course correct. They were able to make course corrections. Okay, um, what do you want? I, I included this. This is, oh, John Brooks isn't here. I asked him specifically as I was helping him with his baptismal testimony. What do you want for your life moving forward now that you're in Christ? How has that changed? Right? I think it's helpful to explain what your life is about now. Instead of, like, I'm not talking about what job do you want. I'm not talking about what you intend to do, you know. What do you want your life to be about? My life is now about serving Jesus Christ. Right? So, whereas before I served myself, now I serve Jesus Christ. My life is committed to glorifying him. Something like that. Uh, you don't have to say, like I'm saying, I'm just giving you all these different categories. Uh, and what passages of scripture would you like to use to describe your life now? Some possibilities. Second Thess 5.17. Galatians, uh, that's, uh, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Philippians 3, 7 through 14. All the things I used to value, I don't value them anymore. Instead, I value Jesus, and I'm pressing on, forgetting what lies behind, stretching forward to that which lies ahead, I press on. Uh, Romans 6, 12 through 14, that's all about, you know, I was a slave to sin, but now I'm enslaved to righteousness. Isaiah 1, 18, come let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they were red like crimson, they shall be as wool. 1 John 5, 11 and 12, um, uh, this eternal life and this life is, God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. So you're just, I, these are just things, because I want you to, I would encourage you to have scripture somewhere as part of your testimony. Not like that you have a verse for sin, a verse for Savior, a verse for saving faith. But you want to show them that this is actually consonant with God's word. So I encourage you somewhere in there to get, uh, to get, um, to get scripture in there. Okay, here is your assignment for September the 24th, which is next week. So if you... Are, if, you're filling, if you did the assignment from last week, I asked you to write up the gospel part, right? The gospel part of Savior. We divided Savior into two sections. What is the gospel? And then how did you come to believe it? So you would have, if you're following along with the assignments, you would have written your sin section, and you've written the gospel part of your Savior section. Now I want you to write, maybe 150 words, write out your how did I come to, to, to believe the gospel, and what has my life been since then? And then I would, I would like to ask for some volunteers to actually, let's, let's next week, let's just have a Lollapalooza of excitement as we hear different people tell their stories. And we can, we can it's not so that, that if, if I have feedback for you, I'll do that offline. It's not like you're going to stand up there and I'm going to you know, be like, whoa, you missed this point. No, yes. Brad, what are you 
It's, it's onomatopoetic. It's exactly as it sounds. Ruben is a lollapalooza of excitement yeah! when he. So, that's when when Ruben gets excited. Now that now you know a lollapalooza of excitement. Yes, Mary Margaret. I'm a little confused because. How can that be? I've explained everything completely clearly. This is a great way to start a question. I didn't do the homework, but. It depends. It depends. Uh, I think you, for a lot of people, yeah, great question. I think for a lot of people, the gospel is going to be somewhere in the middle of that middle section. And I began to have, I began to have Kenny Allard came alongside me and started telling me about Jesus. And this is what he told me. He told me that God was holy the creator, and that I was accountable to him. And he told me, furthermore, that uh, I was a sinner and that I actually deserved the wrath of God for my sin. And then he went on and explained how Jesus had come as the Savior for sin. You know, so now I'm framing it with... A, do, you, do you remember how Paul... Where did he give a lot of story details? It was in telling the story of the Damascus Road. That's when he gave a lot of... He gave a lot of the, of the details, and that's where you can as well. And then you say, and then I came to see that what Kenny was saying actually described my life. And, and I began to understand that I wasn't the good person that I'd always thought that I was, that I was actually, I was actually a crummy, dirty sinner. And finally, this connected, and I understood that Jesus was the one that could save me because I'd been so miserable. Right, so that's that's how I you, how most people will probably do that. Um, you can either put it in as a chunk, or you can, you know, weave it in. Okay, it is closing time, but afterwards I want some of you to come to me. I'm not going to stay here. I'll go somewhere else. So you can. I want some of you, usual suspects, unusual suspects, to come and say, "Yes, I will. I will. I will share mine next week." And we can, and we can talk. Yes, sweetheart. You had good intentions to do this and didn't follow through, and that's fine. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. They are online. Yeah, on the on the course seminar page. Yep. So anyone can download those. Yep. Okay. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for all the stories that there are in this room. I get the privilege of standing up when I'm leading music or preaching and, and looking out and seeing the fact that you have transformed so many of the people in this room. And a number of them, their stories I actually know firsthand and, uh, and watched uh, you work. And that's just the privilege that a pastor has. Uh, I want to thank you for saving so many in this room. And I pray that you would be working in them as they, as they write, as they get ready to actually have a testimony that's relatively short that they can share. 
Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless them in their writing, in their preparation. And Lord, may we have a wonderful time of celebration uh, next week as we uh, get to hear the stories of of those whom you've changed. Um, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to be more on the balls of our feet to share our stories and the gospel message with people. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen.